From the McKinsey Global Institute, it's Forward Thinking with Michael Chewy and Anna Bernasek. Hi, and welcome to Forward Thinking. I'm Michael Chewy. And I'm Anna Bernasek. Anna, I think you've got some news to share with our listeners. Yes, I do. Um, this is a special episode for me, Michael, because it's my last episode of Forward Thinking. And it's with a friend of mine who I think you're really going to enjoy listening to. Hmm. Well, look, I'm going to have more things to say about you later, uh, but I'm really glad that you're with us for this one last time. And I have to say, I'm really intrigued by this interview. Okay, well, let me give you a hint. Have you seen Hamilton? The smash hit by Lin-Manuel Miranda? Oh, no. I'm sorry. I actually haven't. It was on my list to see before the pandemic, and I still haven't seen it. Well, then you're in for a treat today because our guest is Jeffrey Seller. He's the producer of Hamilton. And he's also the producer of other hits like Rent, Avenue Q, and In the Heights. Oh, that's great. So it's basically Hamilton CEO. I heard the show's going to reopen in September, and I wonder how in the world he navigated the complete shutdown of the industry for a year and a half. That's a long time. Well, I talked about that with Jeffrey, and we also talked about the ways the pandemic has changed the business of live entertainment. It has got to have been a really challenging time for them. You know, we actually looked at live entertainment after the pandemic in a recent MGI report on the consumer demand recovery. Our analysis found a two-speed recovery shaping up, so I can't wait to hear Jeffrey's take on whether he's hopeful Broadway will come back. Well, me too, and that's why I asked Jeffrey what's really happening in his industry now. And it actually might surprise you because he talks a lot about his experience using digital tools and platforms to increase access and interest in the show. And what he found was that by, in a sense, giving away content on streaming platforms, it actually increased the demand for Hamilton tickets. Wow. Well, speaking of giving things away, let's not give away the rest of the story. Let's listen to the interview. Jeffrey, welcome to Forward Thinking. Thank you. And good afternoon, Anna. It's great to be here. Thank you for being here. Now, before we get to the good stuff, the fun stuff about reopening, the stuff we all want to know, can you just take us back, back to like February 2020? Hamilton was this unstoppable hit. Everything's going great. And then a couple weeks later, it's clear with the pandemic that live entertainment has to shut down. How did it feel to have to shut down Hamilton? I, I don't want to overstate it, but it felt like a little bit of death. I, it felt awful. I felt that we were losing our livelihood, the livelihoods of the hundreds of people that work at Hamilton and depend on Hamilton for their salary, for their benefits, for their health insurance. And um, I was in a little bit of despair asking, what happens next? And Jeffrey, how did you work through that whole thing? I went through moments of both optimism that this would pass in four months or six months and pessimism that this would be the beginning of a new, you know, of a new world order where pathogens and viruses are spreading around that change the way we live forever. I uh, followed the science and the data very closely. I I coped by trying to learn by, you know, combing through all the data every single day. And um, 
you know, to put that in, in perspective, it was in late February that the New York Times did a daily episode in which he said in uh, around the 20th of February that this was going to become a worldwide epidemic. It is going to completely change how we live right now and that somewhere between a third and two thirds of all the people on earth are going to get it. And then I read yet another worse article in early April in which Ezekiel Emanuel from the University of Pennsylvania said that live performance is going to go back for a year and a half. And, um, and that put me in more despair. I was like, how are we going to get through a year and a half? And, um, and frankly, that was the moment that I collaborated um, with Bob Iger of Disney and my partners at Hamilton, Thomas Kell, director, and Lin-Manuel Miranda, author, to make the decision to put the Hamilton live capture movie on Disney Plus in the summer of 2020, because we thought, well, we need to give something to our audience. We need to give something of hope to the American people. And was that a hard decision when you think about moving from, you know, the whole thing of live entertainment to suddenly making a decision about a digital entertainment? Uh, It was not my original plan, and it was a pivot. And knowing that we would not go back to work for over a year, and knowing that I want to keep Hamilton at the top of many, many Americans' minds, it was an easy decision. Was there any other sort of moments like that or any kind of pivots that you had to make? I mean, I guess part of it was that learning and we really didn't know what was happening. And so you had to keep revising what the plan was. No question. I mean, the truth is, is that live performance went into a coma. Uh, out of which it has not yet come. Many small theater companies pivoted to digital performances and Zoom performances, but none of that's real. That's not what we lovers of theater and live performance want. It doesn't, full, it doesn't, it doesn't meet that need. And I think it was fine for the purposes of the pandemic, but I don't think it's a long-term solution. I think that the pivot we made with regards to the film was serendipitous because one, we had already made the film, it existed and it was finished. Two, we had already forged a partnership with Disney in which we were planning to put it in movie theaters across America around October of 2021. So it was already in process. So the pivot was from screenings in movie theaters to uh, Disney Plus Digital at Home. Not the biggest pivot, but a very good pivot. Good for consumers, good for Hamilton. But that's all I got, you know what I mean? After that, there is no more pivot. And live performance, whether that be rock concerts, symphonies, operas, dances, theater, None of those things can happen when pandemics are decimating civilization. And that's why the 
you know, I've said to all of my company members upon whom I've made it a mandate that they must get vaccinated to return to work, that the vaccines are a modern day miracle. And we must be so thankful to the scientists who developed them in record time. One of the ideas I wanted to discuss with you really is this sort of interaction between digital and live. But I think what I'm hearing from you is really going forward, that's not really in your thinking about productions, that it it was useful in the pandemic, it was helpful to everybody, but that's not where your mind is going now. So I think that there are many good usages of digital platforms for marketing in a much more efficient way. But theater only exists when you put an actor and a audience member together in the same room. And that has been the case since Sophocles. And before that. And... um, Let us continue to build the kind of society that nurtures and enables that relationship. Jeffrey, one of the things, too, I think, well, one of the things I was amazed at was during the whole pandemic, you were actually able to take Hamilton to Australia. Well, that was one of the most extraordinary professional experiences of my life. And it was only made possible because Australia was one of the few countries that were able to extinguish the virus through testing, through contact tracing, and through quarantine. And what was so amazing was that um, we we were able to cast through a lot of Zooms, our companies. We had done a lot of casting live, uh, a lot of casting with our artists in the room, but then we finished casting with putting on Zoom all the principles and allowing our creative team from the US to watch them on Zoom, relate to them on Zoom, and then make their decisions. So we were able to finish the casting process through Zoom. And then ultimately, when it came time to rehearse, of course, we rehearsed live, in Australia, in studios at the Australian Broadcasting System, and, uh, and it went great. And um, the company is glorious, warm, ingenious, creative, talented, and um, audiences came out, and the only uh, mandate was that everybody in the theater wore a mask. Wow, really glad it worked out. I mean, right now, of course, it's a little more challenging in Australia with the Delta variant. Let's go back to before the pandemic for a moment. I mean, when you released the cast album, you released it on streaming platforms. How did you make that decision? And were you surprised by what happened? Let's go back even further. You know, Spotify is a free music service for consumers who don't want to buy the subscription. And when we made the album for Hamilton all the way back in 2015, our Uh, record company, Atlantic, said, we're going to do Spotify. And I said, are we sure we want to do Spotify? Maybe we want to do it the way Adele does it. Doesn't Because I think Adele would release a new album and not put it on Spotify and make people buy it so that it could become a best-selling album. And they said, no, we we should do that. And I said, wow, so we're going to give away that album. And as a result of, first of all, so so it was on Spotify 
And we're over 2 billion streams at this point. And here were the positive effects. When I was young, a show would take years to get out to Michigan or Missouri or Portland, Oregon, uh, because we would wait to buy an album and listen to the album, and we wouldn't even hear about the album until it was on the Tony Awards. And now Hamilton came out in August of 2015. The album came out around September 29th of 2015. And within six months, kids all over the country knew Hamilton and loved it. And what we were doing was creating an even bigger fan base that was going to sustain us with ticket sales. So I am absolutely sure that we sold more tickets to Hamilton which is my bread and butter, than we ever would have sold without that album and without digital streaming. And I also know that when we released the Hamilton live capture film on Disney Plus in the summer of 2020, it was only after that that we went on, we went on sale in Sydney, Australia, and they were able to watch it on Disney Plus there as well. And, at, and six weeks after it was on Disney Plus, we sold more tickets than any show had ever sold in the history of Australia. And now we've gone back on sale in New York, and we're going to have a record-breaking advance again in New York when we reopen in September. So all of these digital streaming platforms seem to be only making audiences crave it live and in person even more. Well, this may be a good time to give our listeners a taste of Hamilton. Let's hear a bit of the show and return in a moment. Okay. One more thing. Why do you assume you're the smartest in the room? Why do you assume you're the smartest in the room? Why do you assume you're the smartest in the room? Assume that attitude may be your doom. Why do you write like you're running out of time? Right day and night like you're running out of time. Every day you fight like you're running out of time. On fighting in the meantime. Corruption such an old song that we can sing along at home and you know is it stronger than an Speaking of going non-stop, Jeffrey, I understand that you're really going non-stop these days with reopening Hamilton. Can you tell us a bit about what that involves? We're remount we're we're building six productions, which means we have to recontract every single employee because nobody was on contract anymore. If an employee has chosen to pursue different opportunities, start a new career, if an employee chooses to say, I just can't go back anymore, we have to go cast that role again. Fortunately, we're not doing it too much. But what that means is that we have to recontract all of our employees. We're going back into rehearsal with every single company for four weeks and re-teching in the theater in which the show will play. So it's really like mounting six new companies of Hamilton in the course of about seven weeks. And what it means is that our creative team will be working nonstop to rehearse with every single one of those companies in their city to get them ready to, um, for that first performance. But, you know, there will be some muscle memory that we can rely upon. As an example... Uh, we have a company that was about to open in Los Angeles. They were opening on March 12th. On March 11th, they had a dress rehearsal. They were ready to go. And after that dress rehearsal, we closed. And they never even had their first performance. So what we need to do 
is stimulate all of that muscle memory and, of course, that intellectual memory of all those words in their heads. And that's why we're going to have four weeks to do it so that everybody can build back at a um, human pace. And when you think, I mean, are you actually thinking further along after reopening or are you really just focused on reopening now? I'm always thinking, you know, with Hamilton, we're always thinking two years ahead. So the answer, of course, is yes. You know, we're preparing a production right now for Hamburg, Germany. Those dates have had to shift a number of times because of the way COVID's playing out in the state of Germany. We're also planning um, production, uh, Spanish language production. So we are absolutely looking ahead at how Hamilton will continue to go all over the world over the next years, uh, including an Asian tour. And then I'm looking at uh, myself and saying, what happens, Jeffrey? How do I plan for a flare-up where we have to close a company for two or four or eight weeks? And what that means is that in this new world, we're going to have to keep saving our money and putting it aside so that we are prepared for other potential work stoppages. That's what I wanted to ask you, Jeffrey, what you've learned from the pandemic experience that helps you and informs, you know, for the future. And I think you've said it's building resilience into your business model. Yeah, it's building resilience by saving more money. And um, it's building resilience, I suppose, by trying to imagine every possibility Although I have the experience of having had rent on Broadway on September 11th, 2001. And as all of us who experienced that in New York City remember, it was beyond our imagination. It was inconceivable. And lo and behold, after that tragic event, Broadway reopened three days later. Didn't have any tourists for weeks or months, but it did reopen and people in the tri-state area rallied and came to Broadway to see shows to help keep us a lift. And of course, the idea that I would have five Hamiltons all over the, you know, all over the States and in London and they would all close within one week was inconceivable and you know, what does that say about our human spirit that things keep happening to us that we say are inconceivable? Is it a problem of our own imagination? Or is it is it that we are optimistic mammals who try not to think about all the bad stuff that can happen in life? What do you think the answer is? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I think we're optimistic animals. And I think we're always looking on the bright side and thinking that tomorrow is going to be okay. And, and that's a wonderful, and I think that that is a resilient human feature. But I think right now we need more people who think about the future and plan for the rainy day. Before we spoke today, I read an article where you were asked essentially, you know, if tickets to Hamilton are being resold for upwards of $2,000 a piece, why aren't you charging that in order to maximize profits? And Jeffrey, your response was, well, I could charge that, 
But what is that going to mean for Broadway? And I mean, it really struck me that you're marketing something and you're thinking about providing access and making things sustainable. So I guess, you know, my question to you is, do you still believe that even in this kind of pandemic or post-pandemic world? Oh, absolutely. I think that my job is always to try to balance forces that sometimes are incompatible. And sometimes, you know, my job is to figure out where does the art and the commerce intersect? Which one should win in any given argument? And uh, um, how to balance this unique form in which Broadway as an art form is also a profit-making business. Opera's not profit-making, dance is not profit-making, string quartets are not profit-making, but Broadway is profit-making. And the investors want to see the show they invest in return capital. So if I was to um, be a straight-up capitalist, I would have listened to Gregory, is it Manicue, you know, that economist? Manicue, yeah. Who, he wrote an article saying that that Hamilton's undercharging. And if all one was looking at was economics and Hamilton right now, he was correct. But I was looking at theater over the course of the next generation and ensuring that theater is accessible to the many, not just the few. And that's why, by the way, I still found a way to create a premium ticket for $850. So I did charge what I thought was our fair share for people who want to come late, buy f- two seats in the orchestra in row you know, F or G in the center and say, I would rather us get that $850. But then what I also did is I took over 50 seats in the first few rows and I made them $10 each and put them in a lottery every day so that People can come see Hamilton regardless of their financial means, because at $10, we were less than a movie ticket. Jeffrey, why does that matter to you? Why do you, why do you care about access? Maybe because I come from a modest background and I come from a family in which we suffered and in which my parents worked hard so that at least I could go to see a show and sit in the balcony for $10. I care about people who are not rich more than I care about people who are rich. People who are rich will take care of themselves. They're fine. But people who uh, are regular, you know, I want to see what opportunities can we uh, afford them. You're asking, it's, and by the way, I've never said that out loud before. You know, I mean, I feel like I've said something kind of crazy to say. It's not that I don't care, but it's like, you know, that's my job is not to take care of them. But I do believe from my background, my job is to take care of people who have less opportunity, is to try to bring people who have less a little bit more. And that's not to say, and I don't want to say, and I'm not a socialist, but. I do believe in equity. 
Well, I don't know. I think we need more people like you, Jeffrey. <laughs> and, you know, I know I really appreciate that. And I really appreciate it. You know, when I when I read that about pricing, you know, I just think it's actually a really important thing to think about in many of our businesses today. I can't wait to get back to uh, live entertainment. And, you know, I think a lot of people are looking forward to it. Any message you want to leave us with, you know, from from your experience, um, from New York City, from, you know, theater, anything that makes sense that you think people should know? Well, I, one of the things that I'm struck by is both the resilience and the positivity and the optimism of um, New York City residents and, and people all over the world. And I believe in New York, I believe in our country, and I believe in our ability to come back and snap back and, um, and live in a great and positive and sustainable way. And when I read those articles in the newspapers about how New York real estate's never gonna come back and no one's ever gonna go to an office again and Midtown's always going to suffer now, I don't believe it. I believe people wanna get out of their houses and come back to the office and I, I wanna get out of my house <laughs> and, um, and enjoy the camaraderie and the creativity that comes when we all get back together again. And I think that's what the theater is. The theater is about bringing people together to make something new. And I think that in many ways, that's what we're all doing in our offices in New York and all over the country. So let us get back together, let's make something new, and let's have another Roaring Twenties. Thank you so much, Jeffrey. Thank you for talking to us today. What a pleasure. What a fascinating interview. I'm really glad you liked it. And I know this is your uh, last episode with us, so I just wanted to tell you uh, how much I've enjoyed doing this podcast with you, um, how much I've enjoyed being your colleague, and, and, and how much I've learned. And so thank you for all that. I can't wait to hear about what you're doing in your next chapter, and uh, I hope you remain a friend of the show. Thank you so much, Michael. It has just been a great pleasure to work with you, and I can't wait to listen to Forward Thinking. Forward Thinking is a production of the McKinsey Global Institute. Find us online at mckinsey.com MGI or on Twitter at McKinsey underscore MGI. If you like this episode and want to hear more, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Forward Thinking is hosted by Anna Bernasek and me, Michael Chewy. Our producer is Lauren Melling, and our audio engineer is Colin Warren. <laughs>